Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, today we're going to be talking about Bo Bergdahl, traitor, crazy like a fox, or just crazy. Obviously, his fate um, is hanging in the balance uh, as we speak, and um, he is being charged with desertion from the army in Afghanistan and misbehaving before the enemy. And um, this is really bringing a lot of uh, emotional, <laughs> emotionally charged um, ideas and opinions on both sides, people who think that he is a traitor and that he should be punished uh, to the extent of the law, the military law, he's being court-martialed, um, and others who think that he has been punished enough because of spending almost five years as a prisoner with the Taliban and being tortured um, and so on. But what interests me um, particularly is how, and I'll state my opinion right from the beginning, but we're going to be having a guest who has uh, his own expertise background to add to this. Um, but my opinion is that the Army should never have taken him in in the first place because um, if you look at his background, there were red flags waving all over the place and um, they were just desperate to meet their quotas uh, in terms of recruitment and let him, and he, was, he wanted to volunteer, so they took him. Instead of doing a more extensive background or a more extensive evaluation even, I don't think really you had to talk to him for that long to figure out that this was a very uh, fragile, barely being held together young man. But my guest... <laughs> Um, has other expertise to add to this uh, analysis today. His name is Luke Adler. He is the author of Chasing Bandits. Um, he is an award-winning former Marine, and after being honorably discharged, joined the U.S. Marshals Service, where he was involved in the apprehension of several of the top 15 most wanted fugitives and many thousands of felons. Um, in this book, Chasing Bandits, it chronicles the true stories of ten bandits on the run who thought they could escape capture, but who were wrong. So, welcome to the show, Luke. Well, thank you, Doctor. It's good to be with you. Thanks for having me. Now, um, <laughs> let's just start with what, um, just an opening, some opening remarks about what you think about uh, about uh, Bo Bergdahl and what his what should happen to him and so on. Well, it's interesting, Doc. You brought up an interesting point early on when you said, "Hey, the army should have never taken this fellow." My understanding is that he had a uh, psychiatric discharge from, or or a general discharge, if you would, for psychiatric reasons from the United States Coast Guard. You would have thought that the United States Army the recruiters would have picked up on that. That just seems like a general um, thing that they would, they would have come across. One, one, a simple question, have you ever been with any of the other uh, uh, armed forces? Simple yes, yes or no. Yes, and there seems to be a lot of confusion in things that I've read about this um, as to even wh whether or not he actually did have a waiver. But what happened in the, um, in the Coast Guard was a rather serious situation. He had been there not very long, and they found him. It was, it was during his training, actually, um, and, he, and he, they found him in his uh, bunk, and he was um, very depressed, and there was blood. Now, he apparently tried to say that it was from, or, or they're saying, to try to uh, cover themselves, that uh, it could have been from a nosebleed, but it could also have been from his making a suicide attempt and cutting his wrist. Do you know right. anything and, and more about that? We have no that? idea about that unless we get into those files and actually see what see what that is. Uh, but it does certainly beg the question: Why did the uh, U.S. Army so readily bring him in? But they did that. So he, he either committed a crime when he lied and said, "Hey, no, I've never been in here," or he didn't and he told him, "Yes." 
you know, I was discharged from the uh, Coast Guard, but I'm ready to come on with you guys, and they, they accepted him in for some reason, which right. certainly seems suspect. Right, right. So go ahead. Well, Tell once he more. does come in and he, you know, he he's under basic training, and he's under the watchful eye of professionals who are training him and bringing him into the uh, U.S. Army, then he's actually assigned to a unit. No one seems to catch anything that he's acting odd or unusual behavior, et cetera, et cetera. Then he ends up over in Afghanistan. Um, at some point, he packs his bags, leaves his post, and walks off into the night, uh, you know, to seeking out the Taliban. And there's different variations, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so, rightly so, that he ended up at this point, now that we have him back, uh, that he ends up in the um, uh, military justice system to try and figure out exactly what did happen, what crimes were committed, and if crimes were committed, you know, what the penalty should be. So that's that's really where we're at right now. The uh, Article 32 on the UCMJ, that's just like a preliminary hearing, basically. Uh, to see, you know, are there charges? Should the charges go forward? Should he face a general court martial, et cetera, et cetera? Yes. Now, before we get into some of the strange things that um, that ha- were observed um, while he was in the army, uh, one of the things I haven't been able to find is: Do you know anything about whether he has, in fact, finally uh, seen his parents face to face? No, I I don't know that for sure. But if you you know he was out on his own on liberty and ended up in a house where the police raided it. I think out in uh, Oregon, out on the west coast somewhere, uh, and it was a pot house. So I assume if he can get out and about on liberty and do things like that, that surely <laughs> you know if he wishes to, he can certainly uh, see his folks. Um. Yeah. I, actually, I didn't know about that. What What was that story? You mean after he was returned? To the states, and uh, yes, he kind of dropped off everyone's radar for a while. Uh-huh. And then uh, a law enforcement agency out in California did a raid on a uh, suspected drug house, uh, marijuana grow or something. I believe in Oregon, uh, but don't hold me to that for sure. And mm-hmm. anyway, when they went in, they found Bergdahl. He was he was uh, you know held uh, in custody for a minute. They t- chit chatted with him thought that he doesn't really have anything to do with this girl operation. They cut him loose, is my understanding. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And so, then, but, you know, the point is that he's out and about and he's able to do things, so he's not confined to barracks. Certainly mm-hmm. one would have to wonder in the military justice system, I'm familiar with it from being four years in the United States Marine Corps, um, that he wouldn't be confined to barracks or at least confined to base somewhere. That seemed odd to me. Because he's facing basically uh, potentially life in prison, you know, if he's convicted under this uh, court martial. Yes, it did seem strange that, um, well, the whole thing about you know his coming home and then, um, uh, it, well, of course, one of the biggest parts of the controversy we didn't even mention yet that that in order to get his return from the Taliban, um, President Obama traded five um, Taliban members. Um, and and of course, a lot of people are furious at that. That here, you know, the, especially those who believe that he was a traitor. Um, why should why should five Taliban members who had been held at Guantanamo Bay be given their freedom for a man who um, may well have been a traitor? Well, that's that's right. And you look at the administration, you think, well, what is their world view and what is their their bent, their political aims, et cetera. Uh, you know, from day one before he ever became president, he talked about shutting down Guantanamo Bay. Now he's got an option here to trade potentially yes. one soldier for five bad guys. You know, is it, is it a political thing? Absolutely. Uh, does this administration say, well, wait a minute, we talked to all our national security advisors and everyone was go with this, that we should do this thing. But then if you break that down, you know, if you recall oh, a while back, um, Brett Baer on Fox News was interviewing a guy who had been a former national security advisor, I think, who ended up saying, dude, I can't, you know, that was two years ago, talking about the Benghazi stuff. And you think, wow, how did this guy get in charge of anything to do with national security? So you wonder, what were those decisions based on and who was making those decisions? Mm-hmm. Were they wise mm-hmm. ones? 
Yes, and was it just an excuse since he wanted to free prisoners at uh, Guantanamo anyway? <laughs> exactly, right. Yes. So, you know, the ends justify the means. Right, right. Well, it's just that, um, uh, you know, in some of the articles that I was reading, and I'm not sure, that's why I'm not sh- I haven't found anything that disputes that or says that he finally did come home, but there's this whole, um, you know, the town was going to welcome him and... and uh, it was rather a comp. They had ambivalent feelings to begin with, but they did want to support his parents. But um, but then it turned out that he didn't really come home, and um, and uh, you know it's the, the the question is is it because of problems that he had with his parents to begin with, which it certainly seems like he did, um, or is it because he's embarrassed to face them? Although that doesn't seem. I don't know. Some of the letters, it it doesn't really seem like that would be the case. It's, it's rather confusing, but certainly goes along with a lot of other things that he did that were confusing. Um, he well, it was does. Born, absolutely does. Yes. He was born to Robert Bergdahl, a commercial truck driver, and Janie Bergdahl. Um, he has an older sister. Um, they were homeschooled. This was in Haley, Idaho. Um, he received a GED eventually when he was in his early 20s, which is, you know, a, a strange, that's not usually what happens if you, uh, right, that's, you know, that's, that's a little older than one, when one would get a GED. Um, he was enrolled in fencing and martial arts and then changed to ballet classes. So one, you know, has to also wonder whether there was some, um, sexual identity confusion. Not that all men who are in ballet classes are, have sexual identity confusion, but still, it seems to go against um, some of the other things that he did. He never owned a car, um, and he spent time in a Buddhist monastery between 2007 and 2008, and it was in 2008 that he enlisted in the Army. It was 2006 that he entered basic training in the Coast Guard and then was discharged after 26 days. Um, but so he comes, he goes, he, like, you know, he's trying to flee. I mean, that's what a lot of his friends have said, friends from his childhood, that he would, he would be like this, that um, he would have these sort of temper tantrums or get frustrated, and he'd leave um, and go on. You know, people really didn't know where he went, although he would say he was going, like, to join the Foreign Legion, the French, you know, these kind of dramatic, uh, romantic sorts of places. Uh, but then he would come back in about a month and wasn't really clear where he went. But, um, but so here, you know, 2006, he tries to leave to go with the Coast Guard. That doesn't work. Then he goes to, he comes home, he goes to a Buddhist monastery. Um, then he goes to the army. I mean, is there rather, uh, the only thing that these things have in common is his desire to escape. And it seems like he was trying to escape from himself and from the demons that were plaguing him psychologically. Yeah, I don't know about that. Um, I mean, he certainly seems to be all over the place. Uh, what you're describing is more of a character from a Saturday Night Live skit than a, <laughs> a human. But he he did end up in the Army, and the Army placed him in a position where he ended up over in Afghanistan. And at some point of his own free will, he packed things up and walked off into the arms of the uh, of the enemy. So... You know, he was there held for five years, and there's some, you know, talk about did he assist them, did he help them at times, was he held in, you know, uh, severe isolation and captivity at other times. Who knows? Possibility. But for whatever reason, they kept him alive and held on to him for five years. Um, That would make me think that they found him to be a useful tool for whatever Mm. reason. Mm. Now, at the end of that time, they found him to be incredibly useful to get five of their bad guys back. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's done, and that's where we are today. Uh, one of the questions raised for me would be, why did the military take so long to get this thing into a, um, you know, to where we're at now, Article 32, for getting prepared for a, a court-martial, potentially? Um, I, you know, I spent four years in the Marine Corps, and I've seen those things happen, and they happen pretty rapidly Typically, this thing's been really, really drawn out. Another thing that really uh, raises my eyebrow, when the uh, chief investigator, the uh, two-star General Dahl, when General Dahl 
is quoted as saying he doesn't think this guy should do any jail time. That seems very odd to me. Uh, as a as a former you know deputy U.S. marshal, I've I prosecuted a lot of cases, a lot of brought a lot of cases for prosecution to the U.S. Attorney's Office. And at the preliminary stage, you know, when I'm showing a bandit in court the first time to the judge, it would be very odd for me to say, "Hey, judge, I arrested this guy." I got him with guns and drugs, et cetera, but I don't think he should do any uh, jail time. It just seems a very odd uh, yes. mix. Well, I mean, I guess maybe it came from his um, all his interviews of Bergdahl and realizing that he really um, is fragile and has some psychological problems. I mean, it almost seems like you know he's realizing that the Army made a big mistake. It's like everybody's kind of caught with egg on their face. Uh, perhaps, but even even again, it, you know, to my knowledge, my experience with the court system, the federal court system, and the UCMJ, I don't know that the general has any background in that, like like your training, doc. Right. Um, it seems it seems like you would leave that open to the uh, specialists and have them determine that. Uh huh. But I mean, maybe that made him feel more sympathetic. Well, we need to take a break. Um, my guest is Luke Adler. He is the author of Chasing Bandits, and uh, <laughs> they needed you in Afghanistan then to shake uh, after Bo Bergdahl, and that's who we're talking about today. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships... Check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking today about Bo Bergdahl, whose future hangs in the balance as we speak. He is being court-martialed, and he may, um, he risks being, uh, well, he's being charged um, with desertion from and from the army and misbehaving before the enemy in Afghanistan. And he, um, his harshest punishment could be confinement for life. Of course, his attorneys are asking for uh, AWOL for one day, which would be 30, um, in other words, his, his crime being considered that he was AWOL for one day and that, um, because then he was captured, and that that punish, the punishment for that would be 30 days. Um, I do want my guest, uh, as I was saying before, is Luke Adler. He's the author of Chasing Bandits. He also has quite an extensive history himself in um, just about all the areas of uh, the military. He, um, he was in the Marines. He, while he was in the Marines, he attended uh, U.S. Navy Dive School and the U.S. Army Airborne School. He was awarded the Navy Marine Gold Parachute Wings. He was honorably discharged from the um, Marines. And then he joined the United States uh, Marshal Service, which is a civilian position. Um, and so he knows <laughs> about all of these different aspects of the military and, and what not to do. 
Um, I just wanted to, and, and uh, Bergdahl's attorneys um, are bringing up, apparently one of them has been quoted as saying that uh, a panel of psychiatrists are going to be testifying that they found that he has a severe mental defect or disease when he walked off. And that's sort of um, legal lingo, you know, to um, basically saying he's crazy, but it's, <laughs> it's in legal terms. Um, Luke, I want to give you some examples of some of the red flags that um, were missed or, or ignored, really. Um, for example, when he, um, let's say, I talked about the uh, Coast Guard where he was found sitting on the floor with blood on his hands, possibly from a bloody nose or possibly from cutting his wrists. Um, he received, some people say he received a waiver to enlist in the Army. Um, he became disenchanted with his fellow soldiers and the training program during, uh, um, during basic training. One of the things that he was upset with, he couldn't believe the higher-ranking soldiers wanted him to lock his wall locker to prevent theft. Now, what do you make of that? In other words, because he, he had this very religious... Uh, childhood, and he was raised in a very, well, also he was in, um, went into his young adulthood as well. Um, I mean, do you, uh, does that, do you think it's because he, you know, was shocked that in the army you would have to lock your, um, your wall locker? In other words, that everybody wasn't going to be on their best behavior and wouldn't consider uh, stealing? Or what, what do you make of that? Well, I think that he is an oddball for sure. <clears throat> what level of oddball, we, we don't know yet. Uh, certainly one that he questions authority and questions why we do things the way we do. Um, I mean, simply, they may say, hey, lock your wall locker so that other people coming through the barracks unattended can't get at your stuff. Uh, or later on, if you say, hey, I, I lost something, my wall locker was open, you know, somebody must have taken it when you just simply misplaced it or lost it. I mean, there are any number of things. Uh, but for I him mean, to say, hey, wait a minute, I'm here now. These things should be set up like I want them to be. Right. Uh, when you join the military, you lose your individual identity, and you train and become part of a team. He, he does seem to uh, kind of fight against that team framework. Yes, is yes. What you're and, and that seems to have been his biggest complaint, that uh, like in his, some of his writings and so on, he talks about losing his individuality, and, and that seems to be really... Uh, upsetting to him. But I mean, when you were in the military, and you were told, presumably, to lock your locker, um, I don't know, did you or anybody think anything of that, or you just kind of accepted it as what we do? That's the military way. Make sure that you take care of your individual equipment and the mm -hmm. equipment issued to you by the government and the government's equipment, because mm -hmm. the equipment does disappear. Either individuals that get through, you know, who are less than trustworthy and or professional bad guys that try and come in and steal equipment and or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh -huh. so, I mean, that's just the military's way of protecting its uh, equipment. Okay. So then he was first, after joining the Army, he was, and after going through boot camp, he was assigned to um, the 25th Infantry Division's 1st Battalion and sent to Alaska. And there was a senior enlisted soldier who made a motivational speech and um he this this uh um senior uh soldier made made a comment a sergeant major he made a comment saying in jest that like other soldiers he liked to pillage and plunder and Bergdahl didn't like that again you know having this um uh, sort of unrealistic Ideal for the for being in the army, unrealistic, idealistic um, kind of attitude. Then right, and again, that the individualism, ahead. saying that yes. the sergeant major doesn't articulate it the way that I would articulate it, or you know that's not proper, or et cetera. That just seems very odd. I mean, clearly Bergdahl is, is an odd duck. Um, at this stage, like in the civilian uh, criminal justice system at the federal level. When I brought a bandit in who wasn't hitting on every cylinder, as it were, Doc, and, and the judge would look at him and think, wow, Luke, you got a live wire here. Let's send him to the federal prison uh, hospital in Springfield, Missouri. 
and we'll get professionals to evaluate this guy mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. see exactly what it is we're dealing with. And that's mm-hmm. kind of, you know, you, you do wonder why did the Army miss this, but, you yes. know, but maybe they just needed warm bodies at the time to fill well, quota. Yeah. I, I yeah. don't know. I mean, that's it. At every step of the way, there were these signs. I mean, I think he took um, offense to pillage and plunder. In other words, if he was thinking he was joining the army to, um, you know, to for democracy and freedom and, and not to pillage and plunder the Afghans, you know. Right, um, right. And certainly, whether or not that Sergeant Major even said that or whether he just heard it that way. I, know, I don't know. When I joined the that... Marine Corps back in the 70s, our mission statement was to seek out, meet with, and destroy the enemy. Some people mm-hmm. might take offense to that. I, mm-hmm. I didn't at the time, but well, yeah, you know, certainly think... a guy like Bergdahl would. Yes, I mean, I think it was the, the it was said in jest, and, and I think he didn't like this sort of, um, I don't know, I guess maybe that he took it so lightly or something. Then it, once he was in Afghanistan, um, then there was another example of an incident where there was one day when his unit weren't all wearing their entire uniforms, and this uh, is a violation, as of course you know, that upset his battalion commander. And um, the battalion commander launched into a tirade, um, which included kicking rocks. And Bergdahl interpreted that as, or he, he came to believe that this disturbed an Afghan grave. I mean, that is psychotic thinking. I mean, yes, it's, you know, I mean, I guess theoretically it's possible, but it seems unlikely that where they were, um, that would be happening. What do you think about that? Well, that is, again, that is odd, although every bandit I've ever had in custody challenged authority. That's why they were in custody, typically. Uh, they didn't like the thing, way think whether it be, you know, drug guys who thought, that, hey, I should be able to sell drugs, or bank robbers who thought, you know, that's where the money is, I'll just go make a quick withdrawal, you know, who cares? So everyone individually who commits crimes challenges authority at some level. Certainly mm-hmm. Bergdahl seems to be doing that, and it doesn't seem to have uh, a real good foundation in reality. But, you know, the professionals like yourself uh, and their people in, you know, at the prison system and the military system who can sit down and really work through this with this guy and figure what's going on. I don't know um, that the, that the uh, prosecution side has had a chance to have him reviewed. I, I simply don't know that. Uh, the defense, I think it sounds like they certainly have. Uh, the interesting thing with that, Doc, is, you know, I've been in lots of trials, high-threat trials, the original terrorism trials, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of individuals who have gone for psychiatric evaluation, and typically when the trial shows up, there's one person on each side for the opposing defense and the uh, prosecution who says, you know, yeah, the guy's not hitting on every cylinder. Well, he's a little odd, but he knew exactly what he was doing. And, and I guess right. that's where we're at with this thing. Uh, what did he know? Certainly, you know, being an odd duck, that aside, you realize that if you walk off into the enemy's hands, most likely someone's going to come looking for you. And is their life put into jeopardy? If you listen to his platoon mates, they all say, yeah, you know, hey, we went after this guy because we thought, hey, he's been captured, etc. They had the inside scoop of working with him, dealing with him on a daily basis that we are missing here and that hopefully will be brought out in this uh, court-martial. Yes. Um, they, the, you know, there's the, I, the question, or not a question, there's the contention that um, a lot of military time and energy and money was spent on trying to find him, you know, looking for him after he was found missing the next morning. Um, and there's even a claim that during all of this uh, search um, that there were six people, uh, six soldiers who died uh, because of, you know, because of uh, um, not being able to, because of, well, they're saying like hasty um, attempts to try to find him. Now, you know, of course, uh, I mean, that's an interesting concept because, uh what are these, are the families of these six soldiers going to then sue Bo Bergdahl or blame him in some other way if he doesn't get court-martialed in, in a, you know, it doesn't get severely punished, or will they then um, go against the army for missing 
uh, the, all of his psychological problems and um, allowing him to enlist anyway. I mean, that's that's um, that's all. You know, questions very... to be answered down the line. Yes, uh, but from the beginning of this thing, Doc, you know, when the president came out and kind of paraded him, you know, the fact that hey, we've traded, we've got this guy back. This is our guy, and this is what we're doing, and you know, we really you know, applaud this, and now he's back in the fold, as it were. And by the way, we traded five really evil, evil yeah. individuals to do that. Uh, and now all of a sudden, the military's coming out, or some people in the military and the civilian world saying, hey, this is a bad guy that we traded for. You know, he's a knucklehead. He wouldn't put a lot of people in danger. He caused the lives of people. This is not a good thing. And then again, go into this administration to say, well, wait a minute, that doesn't sound very good. We don't, we don't want that narrative really out there. Uh, we would prefer a narrative that says, hey, you know, we, he's one of our own. We have him back now, and everything's fine. And then people are calling, hey, no, this guy's a traitor. He is, you know, he deserted us. Uh, he endangered the lives of people. He got people killed. Uh, he, and he, now he needs to stand up and, uh, you know, receive justice for that. Yes. Um you know, the, the, uh, it, it's so interesting that, um, that, that there were so many parallels. There, um, there's a childhood friend that was saying that uh, there was a lot of rebelliousness between Bergdahl and his parents. And he, as I was saying before, that he would get frustrated. Uh, but this friend said he would often disappear for days at a time, building forts and hiking for miles into the Idaho wilderness. And so he sees a parallel between what he's doing now, you know, that he would get frustrated and walk off and throw up his hands. Um, when you were in the various um, military, um, you know, on duty in, these, in various military places, as you were, um, did you ever, what was it like when you would see a fellow um, soldier who you... Did, well, I guess I should say first, did you ever, uh, did it ever come to pass where you questioned the mental stability of some of the people around you and wondered whether they would be putting your life in danger? Well, we, we did, actually. Here's the thing. As long as the military uh, still recruits out of the same human gene pool, you'll have human problems. Uh, normally, it's pretty good about ferreting that out before they actually bring them into the enlistment process. But some people make it through because of unscrupulous folks that say, hey, I've got a body count, I've got to make a quota, so, you know, this guy's good enough. Um, and then they, they make it into the military. Uh, when I was out in California early on in my career in, in the uh, Marine Corps, we had a young guy that came into our outfit, and I was in a very high-speed outfit. I was in reconnaissance unit in the Marine Corps. This kid came to us as a radio operator, so we needed radio operators, so he was assigned to our unit. He was a very, very odd duck, and uh, the leadership caught on to that and said, wow, you know, this kid came and told us he was a reservist. So he was to serve six months and then for the next four years in the reserves. And, and the reality is his parents had signed him up. He was in for four, four years. So, yeah, those type people do make it through. Um, I was in during peacetime. So you didn't see as much of that, uh, you know, because the quotas were not quite as high probably mm. uh, during that period of time. But, um, yeah, you, you see that, and you report it, and you think, hey, this guy's a kind of a odd duck. You m mention that to your squad leader or your platoon sergeant or your pl platoon commander, your company commander, et cetera. And normally those things get worked out. It was worked out in that case. Um, you know, you didn't see it often, but occasionally you, you did see some things, and you think, wow. You know, I don't want that guy watching my back. Uh-huh. Um, worked out where they were sent to see a psychiatrist? Yes, typically, and then filtered out of the military in mm -hmm. some process. A mm -hmm. general on earth, mm -hmm. less than honorable or whatever. Mm-hmm. There is a letter that you may have read um, that uh, Bergdahl sent an, an email, I should say, uh, on June 27th, before he was captured, he sent this to he sent he wrote it to mom, dad, um, and it, it goes on. It's a fairly long email, but he talks. He says a couple of times, "I am ashamed to even be American." 
the horror of the self-righteous arrogance that they thrive in. It's all revolting. Three good sergeants have been forced to move to another company, and one of the biggest shitbags is being put in charge of the team. And then he goes on, the U.S. Army is the biggest joke the world has to laugh at. It is the army of liars, backstabbers, fools, and bullies. Um, we don't even care when we hear each other talk about running their children down in the dirt streets with our armored truck. We make fun of them in front of their faces and laugh at them for not understanding we are insulting them. There are a few more boxes. Oh, then he talks about that he sent boxes to them. Um, I mean, obviously, this is one angry dude. <laughs> what, what do you in, make? In, yeah, he has a distorted uh, view of reality, it seems to me, and he's craw- crying out and, and maybe trying to get his parents... Uh, you know, acceptance. Maybe there's something there that you talked about, Doctor, that uh, that he's been missing all this time, trying to run away, trying to get their attention or positive attention or et cetera, et cetera. But again, the reality is he ended up in that position willfully. No one made him join the Army. He went there and said, hey, you know what, I didn't make it with the Coast Guard. I'm here, and I'll be one of your guys. Yes, yes. By that point, it does seem like he is very disturbed and very angry and and uh, perhaps is identifying with some of the um, Afghanistan people because he was bullied, um, so to speak, back the, back when he was growing up. Well, we need to take another break. Ah, my <laughs> it's going too quickly. My <laughs> my guest uh, is Luke Adler. He is the author of Chasing Bandits. Um, I'll ask you about that a little bit at the end. Um, and he is a he has served our country. <laughs> Uh, in the, as an award-winning uh, former Marine. And um, we're talking today about Bo Bergdahl, traitor, crazy like a fox, or just crazy. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking today with Luke Adler. He is the author of Chasing Bandits. He's also had a very distinguished career in the military uh, and in the U.S. Marshals Service. Um, and we're trying to uh, figure out what went on with Bo Bergdahl and what he deserves, whether he deserves the extreme of life in prison or um, just 30 days, as his lawyer is asking for, for, uh, for the charge for him to be considered as being uh, meritorious of the charge of one day AWOL uh, as opposed to being a deserter and misbehaving before the enemy. Um, you know, some of these, I, I mean, the more you, you look into it, the more, <laughs> the more uh, disturbed um, it should have been obvious that he was. He wrote a journal, and some of the things that they've, uh, you know, they've gotten, quotes that they've gotten from the journal, um, really show how he is, how he was for a long time, um, even before, even growing up, apparently, when he would run off into the mountains, 
um, and was rebelling against his parents. Um, he was mentally unstable. Now, he wrote, um, he, before he was disp- deployed to Afghanistan, he wrote in the journal, the closer I get to ship day, the calmer the voices are. I'm reverting, I'm getting colder. My feelings are being flushed with the frozen logic and the training, all the unfeeling cold judgment of the darkness. Well, you've got to wonder, the calmer the voices are, okay, that seems to indicate to me um, that he is hearing voices. I mean, and it's interesting, he, he actually writes the word, although he misspells it, but he writes in his journal, um, puddle of mud, schizophrenic psycho. Now, you know, <laughs> perhaps either he recognized himself that he was schizophrenic or he was diagnosed uh, as schizophrenic by someone in his, um, you know, before he uh, joined even the Coast Guard, and yet that information never got to the Coast Guard nor the Army. Um, he has, uh, he talks about, oh, one of the things that I, I really liked, liked, um, that was noteworthy, was how he talks about um, the book Atlas Shrugged. You know, we were talking before about individuality. June 27th, he sent, right before he was captured, he sent an email to his friends titled, Who is John Galt? Um, a reference to the hero of Anne Rand's novel, Atlas Shrugged, about individualism. And he wrote, I will serve no bandit nor lair, for I know John Galt. Um, the light, this life is too short to serve those who compromise value and its ethics. Three days later, he walked off his post. So, you know, obviously where he... I love that book, by the way. You read it, too, or you're familiar with it, right? I'm a little familiar with it. Yeah, I haven't completely read the thing. Um, I mean, you know, I think it's super to be... Um, to believe in individualism, however, you then aren't the kind of person who should be joining the army. <laughs> well, exactly. So it goes back to when he willfully went in, intentionally went and joined the army and became a part of that group. And, and that somewhere along the line, maybe from the outset, he thinks that he is intellectually superior to everyone yes. around him. Yes. And maybe that is a, a distortion. Uh, you know, it reminds me of a case that we had here in, in the Eastern District of Missouri, Doc, where... This guy was a dentist, so he's a trained professional, but he was also a major in the Army Reserves. Uh, and he got sideways with Sam on some Medicare fraud, some Medicaid fraud, etc. Anyway, he ended up in custody, and very, very emotional guy, but he, he reminded me a lot of this guy, Bergdahl. Uh, mm. No one around him was as smart as he is. Mm. Uh, no one was as righteous as he was. And, and But at some point, some of the proceedings that I sat in on, quite frankly, listening, I'd think, oh, hey, he's got a valid point. This is a valid point here. And then he'd make a sharp left turn into psycho land. Uh-huh. And you'd think, wow, this guy is off his cracker. Uh-huh, and the judge uh-huh. thought the same thing. And we sent him, the system sent him down to um, the medical facility at Springfield uh, at the prison hospital. I actually drove him down there one time. And he was just off his rocker at some times. Sometimes he'd be very lucid and very, you know, intelligent and carry on a conversation. And then other times he was just off in kind of la-la land. Mm-hmm. So there is the possibility that that, you know, is, exists with Bergdahl. I mean, it's certainly a possibility. And you think, well, he just made it in as a soldier on the front line somewhere. Okay. This other guy, dentist, he made it through dental school. And then mm-hmm. he made it made it in up as high as a major as I recall in the reserves. So does it happen? It does happen. But uh, the major is held to account for his actions. And, you know, at some point, we'll see, does the uh, military justice, the UCMJ, which is pretty good, uh, Uniform Code of Military Justice, um, will hold him to account for his actions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as this is all going on, there um, journalists are looking into um, his background more and, you know, speaking to people who knew him. Um, and uh, so he, they're getting information like um, people, his friends thought of him as an introspective young man who sometimes painted his fingernails black and identified with Japanese samurai warriors and medieval knights. 
He liked to portray himself as a dark, adventurous soul with a chivalrous spirit, a dramatic persona his friends often teased him about. Yeah, a little, di- little bit different. Uh, you know, in the book, Doc, uh, Chasing Bandits, there's a story mm-hmm. about a guy that I called Professor Normal, and he actually uh, earned a Ph.D. in uh, chemical engineering and then went on out and, and did a lot of crimes, a lot of, you know, and, and harmed a lot of people financially. Uh, sometimes I would talk to him, and he really saw himself as some kind of a James Bond and a mm-hmm. uh, kind of a Robin Hood kind of a guy. So you could certainly say that, well, this guy's an odd duck, but he was still held to account for the things that he did. And, and he was like that. He saw himself as incredibly intelligent. Uh, no one around him is as smart as he is. Um, you know, quite frankly, several of the bandits that I wrote about in the book were like that. Interesting people, very uh, intelligent in some aspects. And but what were some of the authority. what were the crimes that some of these most wanted bandits um, committed? Uh, well, it just it differs. Uh, one kid, well, like Professor Norma that I'm talking about, he was actually we arrested him for foreign country. He was wanted in a foreign country for financial crimes, um, trying to undermine their banking system. Um, it was the Swiss. They don't like you messing with their banking, nor do they like you messing with their chocolate. So we, we arrested him for that. Now, during the arrest, I did some things to be in charge, and that was one of the things. He was more intelligent than me and wanted to be in charge. I said, hey, guess what, Professor? I get to be in charge today. He wanted me, he wanted me to allow him to just walk around his house unattended and shut down his computers and tidy up and put things away. Huh. Well, that's not going to happen. You're in handcuffs. You're going to stay in handcuffs. I'll shut your computer down and tell me how to do that. I did that, and as I watched the computers, I saw names of some of these files that they were interested in over with the Swiss, hmm. and it had hundreds of millions of dollars in values and things going back and forth. Ultimately, he, he beat that case over from the Swiss, hmm. but because of the good work that we did, the government ended up executing search warrants on his computers, and he did millions of dollars worth of fraud here in the United States and huh. frauded people that just couldn't, you know, couldn't afford to be frauded. He was an equal opportunity defrauder. He was. He, he was an interesting <laughs> fellow, but uh, and of course know, he had he, to pay for his crimes. Of course he wanted to go to his computer so he could try to wipe off all these things before you found them. Yeah, he, I think he wanted to hit delete. And uh, right. that didn't happen. We, we sh- shut it down, and uh, you know he ended up paying the price for it. But there have been some other guys on there who you know were murderers, uh, hardcore, evil, evil people. Uh, a lot of drug guys that I've chased, but a lot of folks from financial crimes. And uh, they have that air of I'm in, you know too special, I'm too intelligent, uh-huh. uh, no one's as smart as me. And they do these crimes, and every one of them at some level could say, hey, you know what? Life wasn't fair to me, et cetera, et cetera. If you look at the beginning of my book, you know, I started off the 14-year-old kid that was shown the door by my stepfather. Uh, you know, I didn't have a great home life. But at some point you say, hey, this is a great country. You can do anything you want to do, be anything you want to be, and accomplish anything you set your, your eyes on, your set, you know, your goals on. So, uh, Yes, I mean, you were kind of a a wanderer as well and sort of rebelled against the uh, um, childhood that you had where you were in the states, uh, well, the foster care system and so on. Right. And yet, um, so in a way, (laughs) you know, in in some respects, um, I guess... You could have been certainly as rebellious, and and you you joined. I'm trying to um, you joined a carnival, right? Right. I spent two seasons on the carnival, traveling from the Gulf of Mexico to the Canadian border, and then I actually hitchhiked up and down the uh, East Coast a couple of times, from Boston down to uh, Key West, Florida, and then made my way into the Marine Corps. Actually, I I was in boot camp about ten days after my seventeenth birthday. So it's interesting because you could have gone the same way, <laughs> and yet you you chose the opposite path. I mean, after right. your wanderings, right? Trying to make good decisions and say, hey, right. you know what, uh, sitting in the back of a police car is no good. I'll sit in the front. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, what? Um, t- just two quick questions. One is, what would you like to see? I mean, it might. I don't know if it kind of really irritates you, like it does a lot of other people who were in the military, that Bergdahl might get off, um, you know, that he put his, 
his troop, his unit, and other troops in danger. Um, what do you want to see happen to him? What do you think should happen to him? Well, I, I really believe in the system, you know, and I believe that the military justice system is a very excellent, good justice system. The problem is when it's mingled with political things. And so if you have people that are in political positions that say, hey, you know what, we don't want to see this outcome. What do you say we do this or that? And you have a political um, questions or, or mingling, if it, as it were, uh, I don't like to see that. I, I like to see the system stay pure and, you know, work it out and to see is he guilty? Sure. If he is, then he should receive a sentence accordingly. Uh, you know, and you shouldn't have people that say, well, let's just get this behind us and let's move on. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Certainly the way it's been handled so far raises an eyebrow as to why did this thing take so long? Yeah. What's up yes. with his investigation? You know, why are we dragging this thing out? Yes, uh, the criminal justice it, system normally moves pretty pretty rapidly. Yes, which does make it seem like there were some political some there was some political hanky panky going on behind doors. You know, perhaps not to embarrass. Uh, well, I mean, I don't know something to do with Obama having his parents the administration. In the, yeah, but that's what yes, it looks like. Right in the rose garden and all of that. Um, well, I would like to see him get some kind of a maybe more than thirty days. Um, perhaps a year, three years, uh, enough time to have him undergo intensive psychiatric treatment. Um, you know, some kind of a sort of a token kind of uh, uh, confinement. Um, but I would like most of all for the military, the Coast Guard, and the Army to admit their part in this for not catching all these red flags. There should be some kind of a system where it's not dependent upon the person to report. Um, whether or not they got a waiver, there should be some kind of a computer system um, that would have kept track of what happened in the Coast Guard that the Army would have seen and uh, would have known not to take him. Well, thank you so much. Again, the book that um, my guest has written um, is called Chasing Bandits, Luke Adler. You can find it on Amazon. Luke, thank you so much for contributing your perspective to this, obviously your years of knowledge of what goes on in the military. Um, is is important to bring to bear. And thank you well, all thank for you, listening. Well, thank you, Dr. It's good to be with you. Sure. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 